Hi Triber, we're back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists to CEOs and conflict photographers to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. As you tribers know, I work with Harvard University as a female empowerment expert. The first time I spoke there, I also met Tara Bradford, a speaker, mental health advocate and personal brand expert. Did I mention she is also a certified high performance coach? No matter how many times I hear it, I always find Tara's story so compelling. She began as a nurse and then at 30 realised she wasn't living the life she was destined for. She picked up her bags, moved to New York City and became a certified high performance coach there. What makes Tara so different is her commitment to kindness and empathy in business. Just in time for the holidays, you are going to learn how to become a wildly successful woman through kindness, the questions you should be asking yourself to figure out your values, and the questions that you should be spending the holidays going over to make sure you are living as your most authentic self in 2021. Tara is full of wisdom. She provides so many free resources throughout the episode, and I have absolutely no doubt this is the episode you need to gear yourself up for the holiday season. Hi Tara, thank you so much for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. Can you just share your story with our audience, please? Thank you so much for having me. I'll give you the quick version because I know we have a lot to talk about. But I started my career as a nurse and I was a trauma critical care nurse for 10 years before starting my own company shortly after I moved to New York City. And I never in a million years, if you would have asked me when I was working as a nurse, if I thought I'd be a business owner or if I even knew the word entrepreneur, I don't think I had ever even said that word before I moved to New York City. And after moving to New York, I had met so many incredible business owners that I thought, oh my gosh, I think I can do this. Well, I'll get into that a little bit later. I didn't immediately think I could do it, but other people saw that in me and they told me that I had that in me and I started to kind of believe them. So from there, I started a company helping initially women with their personal brand. Now I help men and women develop their personal brand, and I'm a certified high-performance coach and certified in reputation risk management. I love that. And one thing that really resonated with me, Tara, when it came to your story, when we did meet at Harvard, is you often discuss the importance of kindness in business. Can you just expand on why that particular trait is so crucial to your work? Absolutely. I think it's actually really interesting that you're asking me that question because the first thing I wanted to say was it's rare to be kind in business. And I know that sounds really sad, but you're instantly going to stand out if you come across as kind because it's not what people are expecting. And I think most often when you show up as someone that people aren't expecting you to be, 
then you have a huge opportunity to get people's attention and to get them to listen to you. And when I think back to the most impactful moments of my career, they've come from times when I was kind rather than when I was jealous or angry or defensive or scared. And I hope that we can all remember a time when someone believed in us more than we believed in ourselves. And if you can't think of a time right now as you're listening of when this has happened, that's okay because my time didn't happen until I was 30 years old and it was the perfect time for me to hear it. I think if someone had believed in me before that, I wouldn't have believed them and I would have told them why they were wrong. But to me now, the single most effective thing I can do to transform my clients' lives is to be the one person who, or at least one of the people who has had a positive impact in their lives because before that happened to me, if I thought back to the five people who had the biggest impact on my life, and there's that quote, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. When I thought about those five people, I was kind of shocked to find they were all negative. It was all what not to do, like bad bosses and and people who had shown me like, oh, I definitely don't want to be like them or bad things that had happened in relationships. And I was like, yeah, that's definitely not the kind of relationship I want to be in. But I had learned through all these negative experiences. And when, when I was in my early 30s, or I was 30, 31, I met the first person in my life who had a positive impact and told me what to do instead of what not to do. And that person was just kind to me. Were there any traits or anything, is, was there anything that you picked up as a nurse, Tara, that you then brought into this new career path that you really found useful as a nurse? Because I can imagine kindness is definitely one of them. Absolutely. I think everything I learned in my career as a nurse has helped me become a better person, a better coach, a better business owner. And I think if I had to name the top three things, I would say being able to communicate and translate information that experts are saying into words that their audience can understand. So for me as a nurse, it was translating what doctors were saying into words that patients could understand who weren't necessarily doctors and didn't go to medical school. And now in my current role, I help people translate their big message, whether it's writing a book or writing a TEDx talk or conveying their unique expertise to the people who need to hear it. And the people who need to hear it the most oftentimes aren't your colleagues. They're not the people who have studied the same things as you. So that's the number one thing I think that has helped me. Another thing is empathy. Being able to empathize with people on their worst days as a nurse and seeing them be vulnerable and not judging them or yelling at them for doing something wrong. A lot of people I took care of had been in car accidents and sometimes alcohol was involved or they had been shot or really bad things had been happening. And to just listen to their stories without judgment was really powerful for me to learn how to do. And it's often one of the things that my clients now tell me is most powerful for them. They're like, wow, you really listened to me and I really felt like you heard me. 
And the third thing is to help people make decisions when they're stressed out or feeling vulnerable. I think those families and individuals that I helped make decisions when I was a nurse and they were often at the end of life, which is a really stressful time to think that you might not ever talk to someone again and now you have to make a decision about what to do about their care. I was able to help those families come to a conclusion or a decision that they felt good about, even if it was not the decision that they wanted to make. And I think now in the work that I'm doing, I help people decide how to launch their personal brand out into the world to make a difference. And it sounds really scary. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of responsibility and some usually a lot of, oh my gosh, I don't believe I'm the person to do this and really helping them get there so that they can launch it out there into the world and make a difference. You are now a certified high-performing coach. So do you feel, Tara, that a lot of coaches now maybe don't share the value of kindness and seem to be all about the money? I do see that everywhere I look these days on social media is I see advertisements all over about how to make a million dollars or a million pounds or millions. And I think after a while, those messages start to impact people's self-worth and confidence when you aren't making millions. And I think first, it's important to be aware of how those messages are making you feel when you see them and to notice why you're feeling that way. For example, if you're being really hard on yourself for not making that much money yet, maybe you need to ask for more information. And we have the internet and all of this information at our fingertips. And one of the questions you can ask is, how long did it take that person to get there? And if the answer is 10 years and you're just starting out in your first year, then you can cheer yourself on and say you're exactly where you need to be, making the exact amount of money you need to make. And I think that's what it means to be kind to yourself, to shed some perspective on where you are. But when you're targeting messages like that from a coaching perspective, and you're only talking about the money and you're only talking about making a certain amount of money, you're actually not creating a universal message that's timeless. And I would guess that in the next couple of years, maybe two or three years, that we'll be seeing really different messages in those advertisements. But the message of kindness is timeless. And that's really my approach to marketing and advertising myself is choosing something that can transcend multiple generations and countries and really making it universal. So what type of things maybe then can we say to colleagues, employees, or even employers in some, people, in some people's cases to practice more kindness? Is there anything specific that we can do to be kinder to others? Absolutely. And I think when this comes up a lot when other people are talking. And so the way that you can be kind to other people, you don't have to just come out of the blue and all of a sudden be super nice to someone without, you know, without even having a conversation with them. But when you're talking with other people, ask yourself how you can make them feel like the most important person in the room. And here's some examples. 
One of the things you can do is make eye contact if it's culturally appropriate. You can also put your phone away or don't look at your watch. Don't check the time. If they're telling you a story and it's a positive one, cheer them on. And if they're telling you a story and it's disappointing or sad, you can say something like, I can only imagine how that must feel and really empathize with them and show that you're engaged with the story and you're listening and you see them and hear them. Um, If you're at work and you talk to someone in passing and they start telling you something, see if you can sit down because having a quick passing conversation in the hallway will make people feel rushed. So you want people to feel better having spoken to you rather than feeling rushed or anxious and sitting down accomplishes that. And also being kind doesn't mean you have to fix everything or solve everyone's problems. It means you allow someone to feel seen, heard, and understood. Oftentimes we think we need to make everyone feel better. And so when you go into fixing mode, you are being dismissive of the feelings that they're feeling instead of letting them just feel them. And being kind doesn't always mean that you're in positive situations or that everyone's having the best day of their life. It means that even when someone's not having their best day, you're sitting with them through the worst of it and just acknowledging that it sucks sometimes. Absolutely. And then equally, Tara, how do you think we can be kinder to ourselves? This is a million-dollar question in my book. (laughs) Um, I think the one thing that you can do to reframe reframe it really quickly for yourself is to speak to yourself the way that you would a best friend. And I have an example where the universe actually stepped in to ask me to be kinder to myself recently. So even though I've studied all these things and seen success, I'm still human And the expectation is not that you'll be kind all the time to everyone and never have a bad day or conflict. It's that you have the tools to know what to do in these situations. So here's what happened to me. Last week, I piled a lot of work on my plate and scheduled myself to complete a project that I told my client would take four weeks. And the client didn't know I was trying to do this in one week. But I wanted to get it done early because I thought, oh my gosh, I can do this. This isn't that big of a deal. Needless to say, I did not get it all done. And I put these pressures on myself and then didn't meet them. And so on Monday this week, I had to rearrange my plans to fit in everything that wasn't done. And Tuesday morning, I woke up and I was in such a grumpy mood. (laughs) And I didn't want to do anything. I was not motivated. But I have a dog, and she loves going to the dog park in the morning, so I had to get up and take her. And I went to the park, and I knew I don't want anyone else to know I'm grumpy, so I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I could tell I just was in a bad mood. And this doesn't happen very often, but as I was looking around, I was watching the other dogs playing, and I noticed that people around me at the dog park were being really kind to each other. And they were being helpful and picking up after other people's dogs. And, and then I had to go to an appointment and I was standing in line outside, of course, socially distancing and wearing a mask. And the woman in front of me stepped out of line. And I wondered where she was going. And in my grumpy 
inside voice in my head. <laughs> I thought, I hope she doesn't come back and think she's going to take her spot in the line again and make me late for my appointment. But then I thought, why am I in such a bad mood? This is not normal and nothing bad has happened. And I'm normally really optimistic. So I watched where she was going and I saw a woman was struggling to get a wheelchair or a, a walker out of her car. And the woman in front of me had gone to help her. And when she came back, of course, I let her back in front of me. But then it clicked for me. I started laughing to myself because I was like, the universe is sending me all these signs to be more kind with myself. And that was the key to getting out of my grumpy mood. By 930 that morning when I was home, I had completely shifted my energy and I had a bunch of emails for referrals for new clients waiting for me in my email. And I think if I had sat down at my desk all grumpy, not wanting to work, I, maybe those referrals ha wouldn't have been there. Yeah, I completely get that. And it's something I can, and I think everyone can relate to that, Tara, is particularly as women, we love people pleasing and we love spinning a dozen plates. So I'm totally there with you. Quite often <laughs> I would take on so much work and then when I can't complete it or I can't finish the week saying oh I've done everything on this to-do list I really beat myself up about it and I have an internal dialogue and I have a go at myself for it so I think a lot of listeners are in agreement and nodding just as I am as you tell that story absolutely and one other question I want to ask is if is there anything Tara that you do regularly to keep up that positive mindset because you are genuinely and very naturally a positive and optimistic person. There's a lot of stuff I do. I think I've always, you know, when I look back at things that other kids said about me in my yearbooks when I was in school and things like that, people have always described me as bubbly and happy and optimistic, but I don't think I ever really felt it at the time when I was younger. And now some of the things that I do, I, I wake up at 5.30 every morning <laughs> and I spend the first, the first hour of my morning is for the dog because she won't leave me alone to let me do my morning routine if I don't take her out. <laughs> but then after that, the, until 9 a.m., I spend time journaling. Um, some mornings I work out. And so every morning I have a different routine, like I'll work out three days a week. Sometimes I'll get up early and go sit outside at the park and watch the sun come up. Sometimes I'm journaling things about myself and things that I've noticed about myself, achievements that occurred in the last week, like how have I grown this last week? What things am I proud of myself for? Um, I have post-it notes around my house with little kind of love notes to myself. <laughs> so I leave little messages on my bathroom mirror, on the refrigerator, um, in drawers that I open a lot, like where the silverware is, so that I see these messages all day long with me kind of cheering myself on. And then celebration. So another thing I do every morning is I celebrate something. 
And however you celebrate, there's no wrong way to celebrate it. I'm definitely not a great dancer, but I will play music <laughs> and I'll dance around and cheer um, and be excited about something for one minute every morning. That's incredible. I've never heard in the years that I've been doing this, I've never had anybody say that they celebrate something every day, but that must be such a positive way to start every morning or even finishing a day. I love that. I might start doing that, Tara. You should. It's a great one. It's like one of those things that you're, have you ever talked to someone and you just get chills when you're listening to their story? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So you get that feeling every morning when you celebrate, like over your whole body. Oh my gosh. I will do this. I'll have to send you a little clip on Instagram or something or tag you in it when you see me just dancing around my kitchen. I love it. And what are some mistakes that you see business owners, founders, and CEOs make when it comes to being a leader, Tara? Obviously, we've already mentioned, and it's something I really see as well. And it makes me a little uncomfortable how many coaches coaches I'm picking up on who tend to focus a lot on money and making millions and really encouraging others to hit that jackpot. And there's nothing wrong with that but I just don't personally think that can be your entire message. So because of that, Tara, are there any other mistakes you think or that you see people doing? Absolutely. And I think we all make mistakes. And the, the goal as a leader is not to make sure that you never make mistakes, but to learn from those mistakes. And I think the biggest thing I see holding business owners back is thinking they have to become someone else in order to achieve what they want to achieve. So if you're looking at people saying, make millions and I'll teach you how, and that's not really resonating with you, then that's not your message. And you don't have to be like them just because it's working for them. Doesn't mean it'll work for you. And so in personal branding, your public persona historically is who you want the world to see you as. It's the reputation you want to build. Maybe it's being more of like a celebrity, but I look at personal branding as becoming more of who you already are. And you can have all the purpose in the world and an inspiring mission statement and all the right company values, but if you don't know who you are, you'll have a hard time figuring out what to do, and you'll have a hard time finding clarity in what you're doing. You'll, you'll think you're confused all the time, or you'll second guess yourself and wonder, is this the right thing? Am I scaling the right company? And so I think that it's important when you're building the brand of your company to start with why, but when you're building the brand of you to start with who, and then what, and then why. And I saw this in myself too when I was a nurse. I had so much purpose, but that purpose was to save lives and it had been given to me by my company and my job title. And even though I was really great at what I did, I never felt completely connected to the purpose because it wasn't who I was. I was so much more than a nurse. So let's unpack that a little then for anyone listening who thinks, oh my gosh, Tara, I would love to know who I am, because that's a huge momentous question. You know, it is life's biggest question. Who are we? What's our purpose? How do we want to leave the world? So is there anything that you would suggest? Do you have any tips or tricks for those 
who are trying to figure out themselves and what they stand for. Yes, absolutely. And I think the easiest starting point is to start outside of yourself because our eyes are looking outward, not looking inward. So it's really easy to start noticing things around us with our eyes and our ears. So become the detective of your life and listen to what other people are already saying about you. And this might sound scary at first if you're nervous, like what, it, what are people saying about me behind my back? But it's not like that. It's more of like, what are people, how do they introduce me to other people that I've never met before? Do they say, this is Tara and she is a nurse? Or do they say, this is Tara and she's got this amazing podcast? Or, you know, what are they saying about you? And I think when I first did this exercise, one of the things that stood out to me was Tara always does what she says she's going to do. And I thought, oh my gosh, wow, I never saw that in myself. So it doesn't have to be your job title. And it's oftentimes better if it's not your job title. So listen to what other people are saying, either how they introduce you, or you can ask them, what are three things you think of when you think of me? And the second thing you can do is start noticing what you're really good at. What are things that your friends ask you for advice about all the time and you feel like you've repeated yourself a million times, but you could talk about it for five hours and lose track of time? Or what is a hobby that you have that you love doing? Um, if you're at a point where you can compliment yourself, what are some things that you think you're really good at? What are your strengths? Which normally is a really challenging job interview question, but for these purposes, think about your top five strengths. And if you don't know what they are, there's a quiz that you can take online called Strengths Finder, and you can find out what they are there. And if you buy the book, you get to take the quiz for free. So I think it's called Strengths Finder 2.0. They might have a newer version now, but we can link to that in the show notes. And that will give you a clue as to the five things you're really good at. And instead of thinking, oh, I already knew that about yourself, about myself, um, really dig into that because you can work on getting better at your strengths. And I think it's something that's overlooked when we're younger. You know, we think about the classes that we did poorly in in school and how we had to find a tutor or we had to get better at the things that we were bad at. As an adult out of school, you can get better at the things that you're great at instead of focusing on things that you're not good at. And I think that's the biggest shift that I had to make in my mindset from being a high achiever in school to becoming a high achiever as an adult. It was that the top 1% of people in the world just kept doing things longer than everybody else. They got better at the things that they were already good at. And so if you're studying business and you think that you need to learn all the things instead of learning the things that you're already good at and learning from the experts in that field, then you're spreading yourself really thin and you might be going down the wrong path towards trying to develop weaknesses and setting yourself back years, trying to figure out those things that just don't come naturally to you. Instead of being open to letting those things go, letting other people do them or allow, giving yourself permission to not do those things. 
And that's such an important note to highlight as well, that for years and years, literally for 18 years, so close enough to two decades, we are always told or encouraged to focus and get better at what we're maybe not so naturally gifted at. So much so I feel that when we're older, we do tend to focus on the things that we're not so good at in adult life either. And we, we don't think we're a great leader if we're not good at that one aspect of the business. That is such an important note to make. So thank you for sharing that again, Tara. And I have to admit, I love your speaker reel on the lines that divide us. So can you, for anyone listening, Tara, interested, could you explain those in a little bit more depth, please? Thank you so much for watching that talk. I loved that speech. And at the beginning of the speech, I talk about the lines that divide us, as you mentioned, and they divide us from really connecting to one another. And they are expectations, validation, judgment, bias, blame, and labels. And on a deeper level, the deeper line that divides us is the one between success and failure. And I think that's the line that separates us from where we are now and where we want to be because success looks different to everybody. And I think that's been a common theme throughout this interview even. Success could be money or it could be something different. And that's how you define success. But the problem is we think that we either are successful and if we're not successful, then we're automatically a failure. And that these things are linear and that they're on a spectrum. But instead, I'd like you to imagine that they are one and the same. So you can't succeed without failing. And so instead of having them be opposite each other with a line in between, instead see them on one side. And we'll say we're, they're on the left side because I'm walking you through this visualization. We move success and failure to the left side of this line. And the thing that holds you back from feeling successful is the belief that you aren't successful. And when you let go of what it means if you succeed or what other people will think about you if you fail, then you can use your mind to turn that line into a rubber band instead and move success and failure to the other side, the right side or the success side of the rubber band. And then when you fail or fall down, you lean into that rubber band and what happens when you pull back on a rubber band? If you let go, it becomes a slingshot. So letting go of the expectations, judgment, and labels allows you to propel yourself forward into true success. And I think that's where the magic happens. When we cut loose the, the emotional baggage that we're carrying and we allow ourselves to fly forward. Completely. And you put it so beautifully, Tara. Could you also explain how our emotions drive our decision-making processes? Absolutely. Our emotions play a huge role in decision-making. And what I see the most often in decision-making is that people will run away from fear rather than running towards what they want. And it's an interesting thing to think about what you want because listening to this podcast or even following Smart Girls Tribe, you might not have ever been asked what you want before coming in contact with this content. And so I'm really excited for you if this is the first time you've 
even thought about what you want. But if we are upset or angry, then we'll focus on being right or being defensive and fighting for what we believe in. And underneath it all, we don't really care about those things. What we care about is the outcome and the outcome of that decision. So if, if I look at, um, let me think, probably the biggest decision I ever made in my life and the very first time I thought about what I wanted was when I left, when I moved towards to, to New York to run towards what I wanted. It was the first time I was 30 years old. I made a decision for myself without thinking about anybody else first. I had gone to the university where my dad went to make my parents proud. I had moved to different cities for partners when I was in relationships, but I had never chosen where I wanted to live. And I had this, I had this horrible breakup and I didn't know what to do. I was upset. I was emotional. I was being hard on myself. I thought the world was ending and I called my dad and I asked him, I said, I need help. I don't, I'm not moving home. I don't need money, but I just need to figure out what I'm going to do because I know I can't stay here, but I want to be anywhere but here right now. And I, I don't know where to go. And he said, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you live? And growing up, I had lived all over the world. So it wasn't totally, he reminded me of that. He said, you've lived everywhere. You can go anywhere you want. Where would you go? And I immediately said the first thing that came to my mind. And I said, New York. And we were both kind of surprised. <laughs> He was like, okay, then you have your answer. And so I found a way to get to New York. But before I said that out loud, what I wanted, I didn't know what to do and where I wanted to go. And I was staying with a friend and just feeling like totally defeated. And once I had that goal in mind. I knew exactly what to do. Everything just kind of fell into place. So let's just go full circle then. So you were working as a nurse, Tara, and then you decided when you were 30 to move to New York and you became a high, a certified high performance coach. So what was that transition like? Do you remember the day when you decided, because those two career paths, nobody would really look at them and say that they're very similar. So when, do you remember the day when you made that decision that you were going to leave nursing to become a successful coach? I do. I remember the day really well. And I never thought, when I got certified as a high performance coach, I had a YouTube channel where I was teaching people how to put makeup on and I wasn't even speaking and I wasn't make I hadn't monetized it or anything, but someone had told me, oh, you can make money on YouTube. And so I went to a couple networking events to learn how to make money on YouTube. And I had met a high performance coach who said they could help me get certified or they could help me monetize my YouTube channel. So we didn't ever monetize the YouTube channel, but through working with this coach, I realized that what was missing in my life was self-love. And I had never been told about that concept before, ever. 
And so when he told me, I was like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what to do because I, I've read like the five love languages. I love animals. I love my family. Like I've loved patients in a professional way and cared for them as a nurse. Like I got this love thing down. I know exactly what to do. (laughs) And so I started doing all of those things and I ended up, you know, feeling really happy for the first time in my life, like genuinely happy, not the people pleaser happy, not putting a smile on my face, even though I wasn't happy. I was really happy and people felt it. My friends and family, they were like, what are you doing differently? Do I need to move to New York? Is that what's making you so happy? And I said, no, what I'm just like loving myself. (laughs) And they were like, you have to teach everyone how to do this. This is amazing. Everyone needs to know this. So I kind of listened to them and I was like, okay, maybe I'll help some friends for free. And so at the end of coaching with this high performance coach, he said, we can also certify you in high performance coaching. And I said, okay, my friends told me I have to teach other people how to do this, so I'll get certified. And I coached some friends for free that summer. And then while I was coaching friends for free, this is when it really clicked for me. I was working two jobs in New York City. I had my temporary job as a nurse, and then I had a part-time job as well working as a nurse. And I had left my part-time job. And anyone who's ever worked as a temp knows that you aren't everyone's favorite person. Like, not everyone is super nice to you when they know that you're only going to be there for a short amount of time. And I won't say that people were mean to me, but they just aren't invested in you. And so I had had this really awful day at work where I just felt totally burned out and like I didn't do a good job. And I know I was beating myself up, but it was a hard day. And I had stopped at a friend's bar to have dinner. And I was sitting at the bar by myself eating dinner alone, which is something I never would have done before I moved to New York. But now I do it all the time. And it's actually fun to take yourself out on dates. But this was not a fun take yourself out on a date. This was like, I'm going to sit at this bar and eat my dinner with my friend and vent. And this guy sat down next to me. He was older. Um, older than me. And he was just like beaming, having the best day of his life and like rays of sunshine coming out of his face. And here I am with my dark cloud over me, like, don't talk to me, (laughs) kind of sinking back into the corner. And if you've ever had dinner in New York City or in a big city where all the tables are really close together, you can't really escape the person next to you. So his energy was just like so bright. And he started talking to me and asking me, like, what do you do? And he had just come from delivering a keynote speech where he said he just had the greatest time ever. And here I am thinking, I never want to speak on a stage. I'm such an introvert and I'm so shy. I could never do that. Like, I'm not, I don't envy him. But I think he was a coach. You know, he never told me his name or what he does for a living or what his keynote was about. And he just started asking me questions. And through his questions, I came to the decision that I wasn't going to leave New York City. At the time, in two weeks, I was about to leave for grad school to study something else in nursing. And I had you know, an apartment in a new city. 
I had moved my car down there already. I had student loans sitting in my bank account. I had all my stuff packed up and ready to go. And I was leaving in two weeks. My job was ending. And he said to me, you're not going to go to grad school. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I don't want to go. It was just the thing that I thought I needed to do next because I had gotten to a point in my career where I was comfortable. And so I left the bar feeling way better than I did when I sat down. The black cloud was gone. I felt like I had absorbed some of his sunshine. <laughs> like I left the bar and I called my parents and I said, I'm not going to grad school. Even though my parents had initially told me when I was in my, my younger years that I needed to be a doctor or a lawyer, I was like, I'm going to make money on YouTube. So I was still on this YouTube thing. And um, they were supportive. They said, well, you know, that's going to be really hard. And I was like, yep, but I'm really good at doing hard things. And they're like, well, you are really good at marketing yourself. So um, I guess you'll figure it out. So I, I mean, the biggest issue I had, though, in that moment was it felt really out of integrity to tell the university that I wasn't going to come anymore. After I had already signed paperwork saying I would be there, I already had accepted the student loan money and it was in my bank account. And so I told my parents, I was like, I, I don't know how to tell them that I changed my mind. Is that okay? And I feel like I lied because I told them I would be there. And they said, you know, it's running a university or a school is kind of like running a company. If you apply for a job and you get it and you don't accept it, they have a whole stack of applicants waiting for that job who would love to have that job. And this university probably has a wait list of students who, who would love to have that spot that you're taking. And so it's actually selfish if you go and you don't really want to go because you're taking that spot away from someone else. And instantly I was like, okay, I know what to do. I'll call them and tell them I can't come and it's all going to be okay. Um, so that was the moment that I decided I was starting a business and a month, well, within two weeks I had another job, thankfully. And I had a new apartment in New York City and a, I started my company a month later. How long was it before that very day? that transition how long was it until your company was fully fledged set up you were maybe not monetizing on youtube but you were making money elsewhere <laughs> how long for those interested listening how long did it take to make it happen well so i had been building an audience on social media for a year talking about makeup and the feedback i had gotten from the videos was that women were feeling so much more confident after learning how to put makeup on. And so I was like, oh, I want to be known as the confidence person, not the makeup person. So I need to make sure that my brand reflects that and maybe I can lean into more confidence coaching. And so this was the day I decided I was staying in New York was sometime at the end of July. And I started... I was still coaching people for free, 
because I wasn't really sure. I wasn't completely certified as a coach yet. I finished the certification in August. And then in October, I filed, it was October 13th that I filed for my business to be official with the state and the federal government. And then had my website up in October as well. And that was really when I shifted to start talking about these coaching things that I wanted to talk about and transitioned from doing the makeup tutorials was October. And I got my first client in December. Wow. That's a really interesting story, Tara. I mean, you've done incredibly well. And as you've already mentioned, you know, you as much as anybody, we've really together gone through challenging times. So I have to ask when that inner critic comes in, what do you do to ignore that voice? Because I'm sure, you know, going to the same university as your father, there must have been that inner mean girl, I like to say, reminding you of why you wouldn't work out as a coach. So what did you do in those moments? It's interesting. I think ignoring the inner critic voice is something that you shouldn't do. If you if you have kids, which I don't, but I can imagine being a kid and when I was nagging on my parents and like trying to get their attention, if they ignored me, I would just get louder and louder and I think little kids would do that too if you're a parent and you can picture them doing this. And so if you ignore that inner voice, it gets louder and louder and it starts showing up everywhere all around you until you pay attention. And so ignoring it is the worst thing you can do. Instead, acknowledge it or notice it and kind of to yourself in your head, say, I hear you and I see you and sit with it to try to understand what it's trying to tell you. And because it's so hard to have these conversations with ourselves in our heads, initially, once you start rewiring your brain, you can notice it more quickly. But Initially, what I would do is write it down. If you're really mad at someone else for something, start writing about why you're mad at them and then ask yourself, where am I mad at myself for not doing the thing that I'm mad at this other person for? Because I think our relationships are our greatest teachers And it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship or a relationship with a parent. It could just be driving down the road and you're mad at someone for cutting you off. And why are you mad that they cut you off? Because you had to slow down. It interfered with what you were doing. And so ask yourself, am I going too fast in a certain area of my life? Is there a place where I need to slow down? Am I putting too much pressure on myself? Am I going too fast into a new relationship where I haven't actually gotten to know this person? Am I going too fast into a business partnership with someone that I just met or don't know that well? And I might be going too fast into that partnership without really knowing them. And so all of these things that irritate us or trigger us or make us feel negative emotions can sometimes be a lesson in knowing ourselves more if we just write it out. And I think the sweet spot in writing is around 15, 20, 30 minutes. So you can write for five or 10 minutes and kind of hit the surface level stuff. But if you journal for 20 minutes or longer, 
you can dig really deep into letting things out and seeing them on the paper where you wouldn't have known them if you just left them in your head. Mm -hmm. And equally, Tara, how do you think we can make better decisions that align with our values? First, know what your values are. And if you don't know what they are, there's lots of lists online, or I can share a list as well in the show notes of values that you can look through and circle your top five and just know what they are. And if you don't want to go through a list or read through all of that or download something, then what you can do is think about someone that you really admire, like your hero. It could be someone famous. It could be someone alive or someone who's passed away. It could be a public figure. It could be a parent. It could be somebody who's not famous. Just someone that you admire and write down five qualities that that person has that you admire in them. Like, why do you admire them so much? And those are likely pretty close to your values or at least five qualities that you see in yourself as well, even if you might not admit it because that inner critic is telling you that you're not those things. Um, Usually we can't see those qualities in other people if we don't already have them within us. And so figuring out your values first is one of the first steps that you have to go through in order to live in alignment with them and make decisions based on them. But also really sitting with decisions and not making rash decisions or deciding on things quickly, especially the big decisions in life and really writing out the pros and the cons and figuring out if it's right for you. And I think that's the other key point. It needs to be right for you, taking, you know, right and wrong out of it. Whereas, is it right for my parents? Is it right for, I mean, except for the law, don't do illegal things, but, (laughs) but make sure that it's right for you and the direction you want to go. An example of this would be with publicity. When I first started my business, I was featured in the media every two weeks for two years. And some of those publications that I was asked to be featured in wanted to tell stories that I didn't really feel comfortable telling. And one example um, was a story for Cosmopolitan. They wanted to talk about, gosh, I don't even remember the exact storyline, but it was something about romantic relationships that was completely unrelated to my business. And And the things, the questions they started asking me were really personal and information that I had not worked through myself. I hadn't healed that story enough to be able to share it publicly and still be an authority in my business without people feeling sorry for me or, um, or really just kind of dragging things down, I guess, with the energy. And because it wasn't aligned with first my business and also my personal values, um, to share something as personal as that, that I hadn't healed. That was the key. Like I'm okay with being transparent and honest, but I didn't know the purpose for why I was sharing that information. Like what was the message? It felt more like I was venting or complaining about a person or complaining about a relationship or be stepping in as a victim. And so 
I asked that journalist not to publish my story in that article. Wow. I mean, go you, Tara, because taking that stance is a true, that's when you know how integral you are as a person and how much you value integrity and your own worth is when you're able to stand up for yourself and be against something that you are and not be afraid to share that with somebody. So thank you for opening up about that. Can I ask what your values are, Tara, and how you practice those? Absolutely. Well, integrity is one of them. (laughs) And I think we've talked about that a lot. Um, Generosity is another one. Balance, growth, and service. And so with every decision I'm making, I ask myself, does this help me grow personally? And am I being of service to others? And service and generosity kind of go together. Um, But with generosity, instead, I ask myself five questions. The first one, because I think as women, especially, we can be very generous and overgive in a lot of areas and put ourselves last. And so um, there's some interesting research. I know we're coming to the end of our, our interview, so I won't go into it super deep, but look up Adam Grant give and take. He did some research on givers, takers, and matchers in the workplace as three different kinds of people. And he found that the most successful people in the workplace were the givers, but also the least successful people in the workplace were the givers. So when he first started this research, I thought, oh, for sure the takers are going to be the most successful, the most often promoted, making the most money, but they weren't. And so the way that you can bridge that gap between being the least successful giver and the most successful giver is to first protect your energy and know who you want to give to. You can't give to everyone. And so you have to have that that discernment between who am I giving to and who do I refer out to someone else for help. And the second thing is knowing the difference between receiving and taking, because I think one of the things that we think of with, with receiving is that, oh, we're being greedy. But there's actually a difference between receiving help and taking help. And so just making sure that you know, receiving is fair exchange and taking means that you're taking something without giving something back. And it doesn't have to be giving something back to that person or in that situation, it could be paying it forward. And also, the fourth thing is understanding whether you're giving because you're hoping someone will pay you. If you're just starting out your business, a lot of times people will give things for free and think that that person's going to just know that you have a business and they'll turn around and offer to hire you, but that doesn't happen. And so instead, if you're giving something away for free, give without expecting anything in return. And along those lines, instead, expect a positive result for the person you're giving to. And they're really going to feel that. So that's, generosity is a huge one for me, Um, but also really being specific about where I'm generous and knowing that it's not my responsibility to be generous everywhere all the time and to sacrifice myself for it. And then balance. Um, If I'm not in balance, then I can't be, I can't hold space for my clients. And so I've been in a place where I've been on that emotional roller coaster up and down. 
and it's not a fun place to be. And so finding that balance and making sure that I stay in balance is really key for myself and self-care um, so I can show up as the best person. Those are amazing values. Thank you for opening up about them, Tara. One thing I'm really curious to know, because I think you're going to have some really solid and sound advice here, is you seem to be doing all of the things. And for any listener who wants to take this all on board, usually we have our downtime, if you like, extended downtime when we're an entrepreneur or founder, when it's the holidays, usually around Christmas and New Year. So I'm really curious to know, Tara, how do you prepare for the new year? Is there anything specific that you do? Do you have any practices or rituals that you would recommend to anyone? Because I could imagine you would have some really great advice here. Well, I think the new year is always exciting. It brings exciting energy for new beginnings and a blank slate where we could do anything. Anything is possible. And I like to break up my year into quarters. And so if you have a piece of paper and you draw a circle and cut it into four pieces and put Q1, Q2, Q3, and Q4 into the pieces of the pie and write down your goals for each quarter. And you can't fit more goals into that quarter than will fit in that little space. Usually it's like three or four things will fit before you have to move to the next one. And this is how I pace myself throughout the year because I think we set ourselves up for failure if we start the year and think, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to write a book, start a podcast, send out my newsletter every single week and post on social media five times a week and do all the graphic design and do everything myself. And then after a few weeks, we're burnt out because we didn't pace ourselves. And so doing the goal setting exercise this way allows you to get really good at one thing. Let me commit to sending my newsletter out every single week and not missing a single one for three months. And then I can add something to that next quarter that will build upon the previous thing and get me to my big goal for the entire year. So that's one of the things. And then you reassess every three months. So treat every new quarter as a new year. So you get to celebrate four times instead of once. And so that's really exciting to celebrate, extend your goal setting out beyond the first of the year. And then for holidays, now I read something recently and I totally believe in this, that it was called the three-day nature fix. And it talked about how all you need to go on holiday or to reset is three days in nature and you'll come back completely refreshed. And so instead of letting everything build up until the end of the year and then going on holiday, what if you could take the long weekends that are built in throughout the year with the bank holidays and turn those into three-day little retreats for yourself to have a mini holiday to kind of reset and stay in balance more often throughout the year? That's really great advice. Again, thank you so much for sharing them, Tara. And speaking of new beginnings and the future, what is your vision for the future? Well, that's a loaded question. That's huge. Um, you know, right now it's 2020. It hasn't been the year that any of us have expected. And so my vision 
for the future right now in this moment is that we can all come to a place of healing and feeling more connected globally um, in a time when we're all feeling really disconnected and isolated and that all of this is for a greater purpose of bringing more connection and love into our lives. Completely. I am absolutely on board with that. And I also end the podcast, Tara, with two questions. The very first being, what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by? My favorite quote is on my website. It is, when you change, the world around you changes. That's really powerful. I haven't heard of that one before, before you, Tara. I never have. Sometimes you hear the same quotes because they inspire so many people. But until I met you, I'd never heard of that one. So I think that's really poetic, if you like. Thank you. And what books or podcasts or even resources would you recommend to our audience? Tara, I know you have probably got a whole stack of recommendations. <laughs> Please do share with our audience. If our audience is anything, they are readers, they are researchers, they are listeners. They want to know every single day what my new book is. So please just go ahead. I love it. I read so many books. I think initially when I first started my journey into entrepreneurship, the book that was most life-changing for me was The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. He's a psychologist and he talks about upper limiting or how we create our own glass ceilings of earning potential or any potential in our minds and how we can spend more time in our zone of genius. So that one was huge for me. And he just came out with a new one that's great about money mindset with actionable steps to take to shift your luck. And it's called Conscious Luck, and I'm reading it right now, and I think it's amazing. And it has steps that you can take, and he walks you through everything. So a lot of times we read stories and we feel inspired, but we don't know how they got there. Like, where's the messy middle? Where's the first baby step? And a lot of people aren't sharing that, but he shares exactly how you build this foundation towards getting more luck in, in your life. 